Highland, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 11. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Isn't this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone who looks like him. He kept saying, I am he, but they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have a seat. I need to level with you, Highland. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to keep reading, but I, I didn't want you to stand for all 41 verses. You're welcome. Um, as, as I keep reading, I want you to listen for something specific. I want you to listen for the way the man born blind, who never gets named, listen for the way he grows in understanding. Every time he mentions the name of Jesus, he says something different. And he becomes more and more accurate each time he points to Jesus. Let's keep reading. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, and now it was Sabbath, the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him, how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed. Now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that our, this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, ask him, he's of age. 
So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They then reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, well, that is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does, not, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. And now you teach us. And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Um, I wish Jesus wouldn't have said the last part. If I were like to just coach Jesus, I would have said, man, you started so well. Uh, light, we like light, right? Like light is good and it's warm. It, it clears our path. We like Jesus being the light of the world. We feel warmth under the light of Christ. Uh, but Jesus... We don't say the word judge in church anymore. Uh, it didn't work out so good for us. If I could coach Jesus, I would say, Jesus, judgmentalism, it's out. I mean, I, I know a thing about judgmentalism. I grew up in the churches of Christ. Uh, we kind of perfected it there for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up believing that it was our job to go, like, save the Baptists. And uh, Jesus' judgment... You don't want to go there. I, Jesus, I'm not sure that your metaphor works because I don't think judgment is what the light does. We like light. I don't think that's what the light does. The, the light gives life to all life. It's, it's the basic element of all life. And, and judgment is cold and separating. I mean, the man in this story... The man in the story has lived a life of pure judgment. He is blind, but he experiences a darkness that has nothing to do with his disability. We can infer some things. We don't know everything about this, this man, but 
You know, in a, in a time and in a place in the world where family is survival, uh, it's interesting that this man who begs outside the temple every day still has parents. Uh, he's not an orphan. He, he knows his parents. So, so what had to happen for a man to go beg who still has a family. This, this is a time in the world when there are no social services. There's no welfare. There's no so social security net. If you do not have a family that will take you in, you will starve. And so what has to happen for a man to be sent out of his home to beg? I mean, can you imagine his mom and his dad? Can you imagine the day he was born and they, they realized that their, their son, the baby that they had been hoping for, had a disability? And, and listen, if people that live by the land, if, if you can't work the land with your family, um, it's hard. It's hard. People, families live on razor-thin margins. And so if there is a mouth to feed that cannot help work, it's really hard on that family. Can you imagine uh, everything that a father might try to do, every job a father might try to give a son to figure out a way for him to be productive and produce something so that they wouldn't have to do the unthinkable? My goodness. He would have been about, about 13. That's around the time we think that young men, young Jewish men begin apprenticing with someone, either their father or, or someone else. And maybe about 13, a mother and a father had to do an unthinkable thing and send their son to go be a beggar. Family couldn't survive without it. And to make matters worse, we're going to throw some judgment in there. Because it's not just that the man uh, has an unfortunate disability. In this world, in this time, and in this faith, disabilities, sicknesses are always the cause of sin. And we even see this in the Old Testament book of Job. Job has his whole life fall apart. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And Job has some friends, some helpful friends come and visit him. And these helpful friends say, Job, confess your secret sin. Clearly this is happening because you've done something to displease God. And Job says, I'm blameless. And so this man, he's become like a, a thought experiment for Israel. He's, he's a problem for them because uh, when a child is born with a disability, the question then has to be, did he sin in, in the womb or did his parents sin? And God is punishing the baby. Uh, and so, you know, they never even like mention his name. He is not a child of Israel he is not a living, walking problem with the way that we treat people. The fact that he has to sit and beg uh, for a living does not appear to them to be a moral dilemma at all. He's a thought experiment. He's a case study. Uh, we're going to judge a teacher. We're going to see if a teacher is worth their salt by how they answer this question. It's a lot like the question Jesus gets, what's the greatest commandment? 
And so one day, Jesus and his apostles, his followers, are, are walking along, and they see this man with no name. And they say, uh, hey, let's, let's ask Jesus this question that we, we can tell is how good a teacher really is. Jesus, teach us. Rabbi, teach us. Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, okay, you want to use this human being as an experiment. Okay. But I'm not going to play your religious black and white games. I am not going to look and see if this person is sinful or not sinful. This person is going to be an example of all that God can do. And so the light of the world tells the man to stand up. And he spits in the ground. And here's what's weird to you and me maybe, but healing somebody on the Sabbath like maybe technically isn't illegal, uh, but Jesus kind of goes out of his way to break the Sabbath. Other places in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't even need to be in the same town to heal somebody. Uh, but he does something. He makes mud, which is breaking the Sabbath because it's like making a brick or it's like kneading a loaf of bread. To make something is work. Jesus didn't have to do that, but he breaks the Sabbath to make a point about people. And he, he puts the mud in the man's eyes and I wonder what it would be like for a man who has never experienced anything other than people asking a question about who he is and whether or not he sinned to feel the hands on his face, to feel the heavy, cool, wet clay, and for Jesus to say, go, wash in the pool of Siloam and receive sight. Step into the light. And it's kind of strange because the Pool of Siloam wasn't just like right there. It was on the other side of town. Which is a strange thing to ask a blind man to do. With, with mud on his eyes. And, and so the man runs and he, maybe he like runs into like 100 people on the way there. And, and maybe he needs directions. And, and he's shouting out. And, and maybe at this point even breaking the Sabbath himself because he's walking too far. And he finds the pool of Siloam. And as he steps down into the waters, maybe in another part of town, the Pharisees are just now hearing about Jesus breaking the Sabbath. And, you know, it's not just like they're just going to give up on their understanding of God's laws just because this guy came around and started healing somebody. No. That law is still important to them. It, as they're arguing about what to do with the man born blind and what to do about this new teacher, the man, he's descending into the pool and he washes his eyes. And as the mud rolls down his face and onto his clothes, what's that moment like? I wonder if that moment were an awful lot like uh, the very first moment of all creation. I wonder if that moment for him weren't like a brand new world of possibilities. Do you remember how the Gospel of John begins? It begins with, in the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word of God was with God in the beginning, and everything that is, is coming to us through the Word. 
you remember what that word was in the very beginning? Over the chaos of the darkness of waters, God speaks a single word, light. And in a moment, life is possible because light is the building block of all life. There is no such thing as life without light. And so God speaks the word light and all of a sudden, Inside of that light, life can happen. Sorry. Um, and you know what the light does? It separates the darkness. We may not like the word judge, but judge is another word for like separating and organizing. And you know what the light has always done? It has always judged. It has always split the darkness. That's what the light does. And in a moment, the man, just like the beginning of time, the man steps into a new world of light. And he sees. And all of a sudden, what is possible in a culture in a time that is otherwise incredibly cruel to people with disabilities, he's able to grow and flourish, and reach his potential. Because that's what the light does. Uh, the man was do, willing to do quite a bit to be healed. You know, he could have just said, Jesus, Siloam is on the other side of town. I don't, I'm blind. He made his way through town. He, he did what he could. He was he was pretty hungry to see. Light separates, but it, it doesn't discriminate. It, it is the choice of every single person in this story whether or not they draw near to the light. It's the choice of the man born blind. It's the choice of his parents. It's the choice of the Pharisees. Jesus comes and shines the light, and that light is judgment, and every single person can step into that light if they choose but only one does. Judgment, it might be that fine line between the light and the dark. When I think about Jesus being the light, I tend to think about it in almost exclusively positive ways. I like the light. It clears my way. It, it warms me. It's, uh, it's positive things, but the light doesn't go where I choose. That's not what the light does. Uh, the light does not focus its direction according to my whims and, and my values. The light is not a flashlight I hold in my own hands. My judgment, the Pharisees' judgment about what's right and wrong, uh, the light is not affected by that at all. The light shines where it will. And the man in this story is willing to do quite a bit to go step into that light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus lights our world. We tend to think about light in terms of its source. Uh, lamp light, sunlight, moonlight, overhead light, uh, but if we think back to creation, 
the sun, moon, and stars, those, those first lights, they were created later. It's almost like when God speaks that first word, light, and God sends the Christ into the world, the word of God into the world. It's almost like primordial light comes from the word, the first light. And uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the word of God. He, he judges us. Jesus does not judge the world from a courtroom or with a gavel. He's not that kind of judge. He doesn't judge the world with a gavel. He judges the world with his body. Wherever his body goes, light divides the darkness. One day, um, we're going to stand before Jesus as he sits on a seat of judgment. And the idea of Jesus as a judge might be out of style, but without it, we're just in darkness. And so I wonder if we can imagine being there in that room today. I wonder if in some ways that we can't yet describe or name, we're not already there. Can you see Jesus on that seat of judgment? Can you see yourself in a room before him? His body, it, it splits the room in two between light and dark, and he's looking at you. He's looking right at you. He sees everything about you, even those parts of you you might try to keep in the dark. Can you see in his eyes? I wonder what's there. I don't think he's ashamed of you. I think as you look in the eyes of Christ there on the judgment seat, what you will see is great compassion. The light of Jesus' body, it, it splits our world in two, and what comes after the judgment of Christ is always an invitation. Can you see Jesus inviting you, come closer? The question at hand is not how sinful are you? Were you born with sin? And it's not, have you followed all the rules? And it's not, what have you accomplished? Today in this room, we stand before the light of the world, which divides the world in light and darkness. And he asks us, would you stop playing religious games? Would you just draw near? Would you step into the light? The light of Jesus' judgment, it's already divided the world. The world is already in a place of light and dark, and choosing to step into the light of Jesus means you'll have to acknowledge what he sees. It might hurt to let Jesus so close. It will be uncomfortable to be open about the ways that we've failed, the ways that we've been wrong. We might have to reconcile with uh, people who have hurt us. And it's always easier to focus on someone else's sin, but the light of Christ, it doesn't give us that option. It says, you draw near. You go. You do what I'm asking you to do. And you know, Jesus was willing to do quite a bit for us to enter the light. Uh, he was willing to break a, a law or two 
He's willing to be disliked and ridiculed by church people. He was willing to be spat upon and mocked. You know, Easter's approaching. Uh, Good Friday is just around the corner. What's Jesus going to do when he gets to Jerusalem? His, his followers think that he's going to come and judge the whole Roman and Jewish empire system. He's going to catch those Pharisees and throw them into jail, and Jesus is going to judge them. Uh, but that's not what he does. On Good Friday, Jesus will look down from the cross and say, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Can we believe that? On the cross, Jesus asks God to forgive the Pharisees. Jesus asks them to be forgiven of their judgment. Well, he's willing to do quite a bit for us to to draw near to him, to step into that light. Is the light of the world really judgment? Is that what light really does? Yeah, it is. Because light divides the darkness and it gives us life. While Jesus is up there on that cross, he splits the world in two. The cross is not just judgment. The judgment of the cross is always followed by an invitation. Draw near. Will we draw near to the body of Christ? What will we have to give up? What will we have to let go of? Um, What will a church have to let go of to invite others to draw near to Christ? What will we have to let die so that others can receive the light of Christ? So that others can come and step into the glorious, wonderful light of Christ that they might receive life, that they might grow and flourish and expand and reach their full potential. Because that is what the light does. Would you stand and worship with us?